Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast in the series, Seeing Through the Fog. Our big idea today is God is more. We're going to be in Romans chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 28. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Welcome to the final week of Seeing Through the Fog. And I'm really glad you're here today as we conclude this series. And I want to let you know I've really had a great time walking through all of this with you. Today we're going to think through, seeing through the fog of God. Who is he? What is he like? And what does he do? And how do you describe God? Honestly, that can be difficult. But here's the thing. As believers, we should be able to do that. We should be able to describe him. We should be able to paint some kind of picture. Now, we might not be able to paint the whole picture, but we should be able to show something. And so today, we're going to think through lifting the fog on God. If you're here and you are passionate about God, even quick to share him with others, I hope that you walk away from today strengthened in your beliefs. If you're here and you're okay with God, but let's not get too crazy about this. Let's not get too carried away with the whole God thing. I hope that you walk away from today energized with a new perspective on God. If you're here and you're not okay with God, and maybe you would even say that you don't believe in Him, First of all, I want to say that I'm really glad that you're here, and this is a safe place for you to investigate and to ask questions. And secondly, I want to say that I hope that you walk away from today with a sense of what God can do for you, because God really can do something specifically for you. So, let's talk about God. If you have a Bible or a device, I want you to find Romans chapter 11. This is the paragraph that we're going to unpack today. Romans is the sixth book in the New Testament. So if you find Matthew and keep turning to the right, eventually you'll find Romans and chapter 11. And what we find there are just a dynamic set of verses that give us a little bit of information about God. Ready for this? All right, out of respect for God and His Word, would you stand with me? As I begin reading with verse 33. Here's what it says. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I think it's nearly impossible to read the verses that we discover here in Romans chapter 11 and not conclude that God as we know him is beyond our understanding. He's just way beyond our understanding. 
Did you pick up on some of the phrases that I read in Romans chapter 11? How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. And then we've got some questions like, who can know the Lord's thoughts? And who knows enough to give God advice? So those are some phrases lifted right out of Romans chapter 11. Let's respond to that. So how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. True statement. It's impossible. And then who can know the Lord's thoughts? Probably nobody. And who knows enough to give God advice? Again, probably nobody. And honestly, this makes God mysterious, doesn't it? Even a bit foggy. It's the fog of God. Is that even something that we can say? Is that something that we can ask? It almost sounds a bit disrespectful, doesn't it? The fog of God. But I believe it is something that we can ask. And I believe it is something that we need to uncover. And here's why. Two reasons. Number one, our concept of God will shape our worship of him. Now think about that for a second. Our view... Our concept of God will absolutely shape our worship of him. If we have a big view of God, then we will respond to him in some pretty big ways. If we have a small view of God, then we will respond to him in small ways. If we have no view of God, then we won't respond to him at all. Our concept, our view of God will shape our worship of him. I think it's appropriate to just pause right here and say and ask, what is your view of God right now? On this Sunday here in May, as you sit in this room, what is your view? What is your concept of God? Big view, big responses. Small view, small responses. No view, then no response at all. Our concept of God will shape our worship of him. That's reason number one. Here's reason number two. Ultimately, there is no greater pursuit in life than knowing God. There's no greater pursuit in life than knowing God. Think about this for a second. What are you pursuing right now in life? What is it that interests you? What are you chasing? What excites you? What are you passionate about? What gets you up in the morning? What are you pursuing And is one of those pursuits God? I love the way Charles Spurgeon says this. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy, which can ever engage the child of God, is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls Father. So let's do this today. Let's do something lofty. All right? Let's talk about God and let's think about God and let's lift the fog. And in our own small, incomplete ways, let's just talk about God. For those who are older, your view of God, your concept of God, is something that has the ability to impact generations and it can be part of your legacy. For parents, your view of God impacts every area of your lives and young eyes are watching how you respond to him. For singles, 
for young couples. Your view of God will set the pattern for how you walk through the rest of your life, and it will enable you to walk through all of the transitions and turns that are coming your way that you haven't experienced yet. For students, your view of God is something that you need to think about right now because it will be significantly challenged in the years to come. And you need to know what you believe about God and what you think about Him instead of having somebody just kind of hand that to you. So this is kind of a big deal today. This is really important stuff that we pause and we reflect on because, again, our concept of God will shape our worship of Him. And ultimately, there is no greater pursuit in life than knowing God. As we talk about this, I want you to know that God is more. And that's actually our big idea for today. God is more than what we can explain and understand, although we're going to attempt to explain and understand him. But as we walk through this, I want you to know that God is so much more than what I can say. God is so much more than what we can observe. We get a small glimpse, but God is more. Think about this. Have you ever heard these kinds of statements? Well, God is the big guy in the sky. Ever heard that? That's who he is. He's just the big man upstairs. Well, God is certainly much more than that. God is more than an angry old man. God is more than a genie in a bottle that pops out and gives us what we want. God is more than a disinterested deity. God is more than a tax guy who invokes a religious tax on those who follow him, and when they pay it, that somehow makes God happy. Right? Makes sense? God is more than all of that. And so if those are descriptions that we actually can't use, how do you describe God? What I want to do with the rest of our time together is I want to roll out three questions. We're going to ask them, and we're going to answer them, and this is going to guide us. So here's question number one. As we think about describing God, what do we call God? What do we actually call him? Do we call him Father? Do we call him the Son or Jesus? Do we call God the Holy Spirit? If we're thinking about painting a picture of God, what do we actually call him? Question number two, what is God like? And then we're going to have fun with this third question, and that is, can God create a rock that he cannot lift? And we'll get to that in a moment, and I want to encourage you to dismiss that from your mind right now, because some of you, that's all you're thinking about, and we'll get there in just a bit, all right? We want to look at these first two questions to begin thinking about how do we describe God. I want to share some reminders, though, just to put all of this in perspective. We cannot know God exhaustively, but we can know Him truly. So we can't know God exhaustively, this side of heaven. But we can know something about him that is absolutely possible. Think of it this way. Last summer I had the chance with my family to go sailing and kayaking in the Chesapeake Bay. We had a wonderful day. It was a lot of fun. And this is actually a picture of a couple of my daughters that are kayaking. Well, when you're in the kayak, you can actually see quite a bit of the Chesapeake Bay. And you get a great picture of what it looks like. You can't see all of the bay because it's a decent-sized bay, but you can get a pretty good picture of the Chesapeake Bay. But ultimately, you can't see everything. You just can't. 
And the Chesapeake Bay is still a bay. Take that same kayak and now place it in the Atlantic Ocean. Well, that is vast. That is massive. That is huge. And in the Chesapeake Bay, you might get a chance to see quite a bit of it. Now in the Atlantic Ocean, it becomes even more challenging because it is so big and so vast and so enormous. Here's the thought. We can't see or know everything about God. But we do get a picture. And God is like that vast ocean we are merely paddling by the shore. That's how vast God is. That's how big God is. And we can't get the full picture. We are merely paddling by the shore. But we can know something about God. And here's the good news. The more we know about God and the more we discover about him, the more enamored we become with who he is and what he does for us. And so today is kind of about giving ourselves permission to be enamored with God. Like, let's just step back and get a really big picture of who God is and what he does for us, and let's be enamored with him. I don't know about you, but I get enamored with a lot of stuff. Maybe you do the same. I love stuff. And quite honestly, most of the stuff that we get enamored with is junk. It really is. Well, God's not that way. And when we give ourselves permission to understand and to plunge the depths of who God really is, all of a sudden we become really enamored with him and we get this great big view. So let's get enamored with God today. That's what we want to accomplish. All right, let's get into our questions. And this is going to be a bit technical here at times and some of you are going to love this because you love mystery and intrigue and theology and so you're going to love this. Others of you will be saying, hey, can we go back to the story about Philistine Wallace and that great battle in 1 Samuel chapter 4? Can we just have some more narrative, please? Well, I want to encourage you to hang in there because this is actually good for us. It's okay to grow and dig deep. It's okay to hang out at the deep end of the pool once in a while, and we're going to attempt to do that today. So here's question number one. What do we call God? What do we actually call him? Do we call him Father? Do we call him the Son or Jesus? Do we call him the Holy Spirit? Well, here at Valley Point, you'll hear us refer to God as all three. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which one's God? The answer is all three. Within one being, God, there exists three co-equal persons. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? Like, does God have a multiple personality disorder problem? And who's really God in this whole process? This is actually known as the doctrine of the Trinity. And that word Trinity is very intriguing because it's not actually found anywhere in Scripture. There's not a proof text that talks about the Trinity. But when you look at the corpus of Scripture and when you begin to investigate what it says in both the Old Testaments and the New Testament, you discover that the Trinity is something that is explained thoroughly for us. And we're not going to have time to look at different texts that talk about this, but I do want to point out Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. What's happening in this particular verse 
is that Jesus is in his resurrected body and he's about to return to heaven. And he's having a conversation with the people around him, those followers. And he gives us a very interesting statement. And here's what he says in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So here's God, one person, but yet three co-equal persons exist, and we call them the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which one's God? And is there a rank? Like there's God the Father, and he sounds like he probably should be in charge, and maybe the Son and the Holy Spirit kind of work for God. Well, that's not the case. There's one God, and he exists in three co-equal persons. And what's fascinating about this verse is that Jesus gave some marching orders here, like, here's your job description. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to be involved in. You're going to go, and you're going to make disciples. You're going to make followers of all the nations, which gives us a picture of how compassionate and loving God is. He loves all people. He loves all the nations. And you're going to go, and you're going to create followers. You're going to make disciples of all the nations. And then you're going to do this. You're going to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There we have it. One God existing co-equally in three persons. While the Trinity is somewhat of a mystery, it's really hard to kind of wrap your mind around. Think kayak paddling by the shore. We can't see it all, but we do get a picture. And what Scripture unfolds for us are three different affirmations when it comes to the Trinity. Here's affirmation number one. That is, there is only one God. And we can be confident that we worship one God. We don't have to wake up someday and say, I think I'm going to worship Jesus today. Or, boy, it feels like a Holy Spirit kind of day. I think I'll just kind of focus on Him. We don't have to worry about that because we worship one God. Affirmation number two. God exists in three persons. There is one what, there's one God, but there are three who's. So we worship one God, but yet that God exists in three persons. And then here's affirmation number three. Each person is fully God, and each person is co-equal with the other person. Each person is fully God, and each person is co-equal with the other person. So it's not this. It's not like God the Father is only a third God, and God the Son is a third God, and the Holy Spirit is a third God, and together when you stack all of that up, it equals 100% God. That's not the case. If it were, that would mean that God the Father is not 100% God, and God the Son is not 100% God, and the Holy Spirit is not 100% God. This is not the case They are co-equal with each other, and they are each fully God. They always agree, and they always work in unison. Make sense? I don't think it makes sense. I think it's a really mysterious thing. And this is one of the things I love about studying Scripture, is we can't always see it all. And you step away sometimes, and you understand, this is what makes God so unique, and what makes God, God. Because we don't get it all. So what do we call God? What can we call God? Well, we can call him God the Father. 
We can call Him God the Son, Jesus. We can call Him God the Holy Spirit because they are all God. One God co-equally existing as three persons. Question number two. What is God like? And how can you actually describe him? And again, I think if we are followers, we should be able to do that to some level. It can be challenging and it can be difficult, but if we are following, we should be able to throw out some attributes of God. God is like this, and we should be able to say that. And so Scripture gives us these different descriptions, these different attributes. I want to share a list with you, and this is certainly not an exhaustive list, but it does help us think about describing God. And here it goes. He is self-reliant. God doesn't depend on anyone or anything for his existence. He doesn't need anything at all. He is immutable, which means that he is unchanging. God does not change in his character. If he did, he would cease to be God, and he cannot do that. God is omnipresent, which means he's present in the totality of his being everywhere that he is. It's quite a thought. He is omniscient, which means that he knows all things. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent, and God is compassionate. And these are some of the attributes of God. And again, we can find these throughout Scripture. And when we attempt to paint that picture of God, we can say these things. Wow, He is everywhere. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. And God is certainly a compassionate God. There is an attribute that I've been studying recently that has just been absolutely fascinating to me. And something that I don't hear that much, but I think it is a wonderful attribute of God and something that should be happening for us the closer we get to God. So I want to explain this to you. You might not find this in any list anywhere, but I do think you find it in Scripture. It is the attribute of provocation, meaning that God is a God who provokes us to think. And that's just what he does. Let me give you an illustration of this. It's in Luke chapter 5. And what's happening in Luke chapter 5 is God the Son, Jesus, is teaching. And he's in a home. And because Jesus was teaching, there was a great crowd there because everyone was fascinated with what he did and what he had to say. And so there's a great big crowd in the house and around the house. You couldn't get in to see Jesus. Just too packed. What we find in Luke chapter 5 is that there was a paralyzed man in that particular city, and he had some friends. And his friends decided, Jesus is here. Like, he is in town, and we have heard that he heals people, and so we want to take our paralyzed friend to see Jesus. Maybe Jesus will have time, and he will heal him. And so they actually pick up his bed, they pick up his mat, and they carry their paralyzed friend to the home. Well, when they get to the home, they realize we can't get inside. Again, it's packed place. They cannot get close to Jesus. And they know that their only hope of seeing their friend walk again is we got to get him close enough to Jesus where Jesus can see him and touch him. And so they do something a little bizarre and a little crazy. They actually climb up on the roof of the house. They cut a hole in the roof and they lower their friend down in front of Jesus. And normally we think that's kind of the whole story there, and that's wonderful. We see compassionate friends reaching out and doing everything they can to make sure that they get their friend in front of Jesus. But there are two statements that Jesus gives that help us understand how he provokes us to think. The first thing Jesus did is he looked at the paralyzed man, and he said, your sins 
are forgiven. Really significant statement. Because in the room were religious theologians. And they would have known the only person who has the authority to forgive sins is God himself. And if Jesus is saying that your sins are forgiven, Jesus is basically claiming to be God. And he was provoking them to think about who he was. That's the first statement. The second statement that Jesus makes is he looks at the man and he tells him to pick up his mat and to walk. And immediately, everybody else in the room would have been provoked to think about who this Jesus was that he could do such things. The attribute of provocation. God is constantly challenging us to think. And I believe the closer we get to God, the more he makes us think. And so if you don't sense that God is challenging you in that way, check your proximity. Because that might be the issue. When we get close to God, one of his attributes is that he will provoke us to think about him and who he is and what he does. That's the attribute of provocation. So you can take that list and whatever else you discover about God in Scripture. And this is how you can kind of begin to paint that picture. This is what God is like. Here it is. Here's question number three. And that is, can God create a rock that he cannot lift? And the short answer to that is no. God cannot do that, which immediately people are thinking, well, that means that there's something that God cannot do. And if there's something that God cannot do, that means he's not God. And that's not the case because God cannot actualize a logical contradiction. That's not possible for him. He cannot act contrary to his nature. If he could, then he would cease to be God. So can God create a rock he cannot lift? No. And I'm going to move on, and you can argue with me later about that if you want to. All right? Let me share some takeaways with you. Because I think in light of this, as we, as we consider lifting the fog of God and describing him, and what do we call him, and what are his names, and what are some of his attributes... I want to share some practical things that we can walk out of here with that hopefully will change all of us this next week. Number one, allow yourself to marvel. Will you do that? We are not smarter than God. We're just not. I think sometimes we believe we may be, and we attempt to act that way, and we give that a shot, but we are not smarter than God. And occasionally, it's just good to step back and marvel at God. Again, our view of God will shape our worship of him. And so this is a wonderful reminder for us just to marvel at the bigness of God. Again, think kayak, simply paddling by the shore. We can see some things, but we can't see it all. And that should cause us to marvel. And then secondly, allow that marvel to turn into respect, to turn into reverence, turn into worship. And then allow that respect to cause you to walk with him. So give yourself permission to marvel. Allow that marvel to turn into respect. And then let that respect drive you to walk with him. A couple of times throughout the series, we've talked about how when we get into a fog, sometimes our tendency is to walk away from God. We get upset, we get aggravated, we're disappointed. And so we walk away from God when our desires should be to walk with God even in the fog. 
But we've got to have some tools. We've got to have some help with that. So what helps us walk with God even when we don't feel like it? Well, it's marveling. We marvel. That's going to lead to respect. And when we respect, we're going to walk with God even when we are in any type of cloud or doubt or frustration or darkness or cave. Because God is there. And even in those moments of fog and doubt, we can marvel at the bigness of God. Marveling leads to respect, and respect allows us to walk with him through everything. And we do all of this because God is more. He's more. And I hope that you walk out of here with that rolling around in your mind that God is so big, we cannot explain, we cannot understand him, but we try, and that's okay, because God does give us a picture of what he is like, and he gives us some of his attributes, which should drive us to marvel and respect and then walk with him. And again, we do this because God is more. He's more. I love the words that we find in Romans chapter 11. They're powerful. And I want us to read these together as we close, as our declaration, as our benediction. So together we say this, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Will you pray with me? Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.